Father, here we are again as your people, a needy people, gathered to hear from you. Help us to do so, Father, with hearts that are receptive, regardless of how difficult it may be. Lord, I need your enabling to be the kind of instrument that you desire today for your glory. Help us, O Lord to be not just hearers of the word today, but doers of the word. For we ask it in Christ's name, amen. While verse one of Romans chapter six may sound like the devil's logic to many of us, chapters six through eight, actually outlines the kind of change God orchestrates so that believers can grow in faith through a process called sanctification. And so in chapter 6, we we see the believer's freedom from sin's grip. In chapter 7, we see the believer's constant struggle with sin. And in chapter 8, we see the believer's victory over sin. For some people today, a matter of life or death is an occasional predicament or crisis of life. However, Romans chapter 6 is a reminder that the redeemed of the Lord, for the redeemed of the Lord, the entire earthly experience is a matter of life and death because of the significance of baptism. Two questions we are challenged with today. How important do you consider your baptism in Christ? And does it make a difference in how you live your life 
each and every single day that you walk on planet Earth. The first of three points we want to make today about the importance of baptism is that, first of all, God gives new life by baptism. Verse 1 of Romans chapter 6, Well then, shall we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? This question is, is actually Paul's response to repeated criticisms from his Jewish rivals about his gospel of grace. They had a real problem with Paul's gospel of grace. You see, up to this point, Paul's gospel of grace had been incorrectly interpreted and applied as a reason for rationalizing sin. Paul's rivals argued that his gospel had to be wrong. Because in their view, it encouraged believers to keep on sinning, regardless of the faith that they had put in Christ. Paul is determined here in chapter 6 to show why their interpretation of his gospel was wrong or misguided. But the question for us is, how do we respond to this question of verse 1? Since Jesus paid the high price of his precious life for our forgiveness, we must not use God's mercy as an excuse for two things, careless living and moral slackness, which is what some believers are doing today. They take God's grace for granted. But Paul responded by stating his first of many principles that he laid out in this chapter, in this book. The first principle is that the power of sin is broken. And so he answers with a positional truth, a truth of where believers stand. And he says in verse 2 and 3, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? His point is simple. As believers, we cannot keep on sinning because we have died to sin. In other words, when Jesus died, he didn't just die as our substitute. He also died as our representative. In other words, he died for us. He died as us. He dies in our place. He died as us. He died when he died, we died. That's the point that Paul is making. What does this mean? It means that everyone who is in Christ is in fact viewed, seen by God as having died past tense to sin. Now, what this does not mean for all those critics out there of Christianity is that the believer is sinless. All that it means is that the believer is identified with Christ in his death and every single thing that his death represents. And that's why for the believer, it amounts to a matter of life and death, not life or death. 
So Paul uses two key words here, and the first one he uses is know. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? To show how morally out of place it is for believers to keep on sinning, Paul introduces the theme of baptism. But the question is, which baptism is he talking about? Is it baptism into Christ? Or is it baptism in or of the Spirit? What's the difference? Well, whenever someone gets saved, they are baptized into Christ Jesus. And that places the believer, that identifies the believer in Christ's death and resurrection. On the other hand, baptism in or of the Spirit places the believer in the body of Christ. And even though both baptisms take place at the same time, verse 3, Paul is actually addressing baptism into death rather than baptism in or of the Holy Spirit. And so baptism into Christ means that God considers the believer as, already, as having already died and risen with Christ. Now on this issue of baptism, Paul is, is addressing both our spiritual identification with Christ and its declaration by water baptism. He uniquely stresses his point by shifting his focus or his emphasis to water baptism with a reminder of how believers are buried, planted together in the likeness of Christ's death. Now, because of its assumption that submitting to water baptism should immediately follow conversion, the New Testament never even considers the unusual state of an unbaptized believer. Never. And this is why faith and baptism could be spoken of by our Lord Jesus Christ in the same breath when he says in Mark 16, 16, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. That's what he meant by that statement. While it is not a requirement for salvation, Baptism should indicate a public declaration of baptism. I think about my own baptism, public declaration. It was a cold November day on the foreshore of Montague Beach. I don't know why they chose that, that time, but it was really cold. And so mine was a really chilling declaration, to say the least. But the reality is that God gives new baptism, new life by baptism, and by doing so, the power of sin is broken. The importance of baptism makes it a matter of life and death for the believer. But Paul's next principle is even just as impacting. The sin-loving nature is buried. Verse 4, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live. What kind of lives? What kind of lives? New lives. 
See, immersion was a common form of baptism in Paul's day, and as it is today, and as it should be. A visual expression of baptism into Christ is what water baptism pictures. And so the image presented is that of the believer being immersed in the dark waters of death, that is, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it visualizes the new person rising to walk in newness of life. Not going down a dry sinner and coming up a wet sinner. Walking in newness of life. When baptism takes place, it's like the believer attending the funeral of the old self. That's what it should be. You see, going under the water, the declaration is this. My old self, as a sinful son of Adam, has been crucified with Christ. The declaration coming up out of the water is, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I want you to listen carefully to, to this story of the kind of lifestyle change that baptism is supposed to exhibit. Back in the old days, a camp meeting when somebody got converted, they'd baptize them that night. Baptism is a picture of what happens on the inside. It's the beginning of a journey, the beginning of old things passing away and all things becoming new. But it's just the beginning. But they did it that very night. Among the local taverns, there'll be a slack in business. Cause Jesse's drinking came before the groceries and the rent. Among the local women, there'll be a slack and cheating, cause Jesse won't be stepping out again. They baptized Jesse Taylor in Cedar Creek last Sunday. Jesus came the soul and Satan lost a good right arm. They all cried hallelujah when Jesse's head went under. This time he went under for the Lord. The scars on Jesse's knuckles are more than just respected. The county courthouse records tell all there is to tell. The pockets of the gamblers will soon miss Jesse's money. And the black eye of the law will soon be well. They baptized Jesse Taylor in Cedar Creek last Sunday. Jesus gained the soul and Satan lost a good right arm. They all cried hallelujah when Jesse's head went under. This time he went under for the to neighbors and tell them just how Jesse took up with little Jim. Now Jimmy's got a daddy and Jesse's got a family. 
Baptism, it symbolized the death and burial of the old self. The old Jesse Taylor was dead and buried. While coming up out of the water symbolized resurrection to new life with Christ. And so as such, baptism was understood to be a matter of life and death. For the redeemed child of God. Christ's resurrection makes it possible for you and I today to walk in newness of life. And that's what Paul is talking about today. Paul's statement that Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father means that God's divine perfections, such as his righteousness, his justice, and his love, all demanded that God raised Jesus from the dead because leaving him in the tomb would have been inconsistent with God's character. The superiority of Jesus' qualities as Savior of the world could not be overlooked because we identify with Christ in his resurrection. Beloved, we can and should walk in newness of life. But what should our response be to what Paul has said thus far then? Well, our powerful motivation for resisting sin is thinking of our old sinful self as dead and buried. That ought to be our response. By consciously being aware of the desires and temptations of the old nature, we can choose to treat it as if it were dead. We can be encouraged today, beloved, that God gives new life by baptism. And because he did, the sin-loving nature is dead. What is the significance of baptism for us? It's a matter of life and death. But... Regardless of how we might feel, the next principle that Paul lays out is very clear. You are no longer under sin's control. Verse 6. We know. There's that word know again. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Baptism 
In baptism, we confess that our old man was crucified with Christ. What is the old man? It is our evil, unregenerate old sinful self with all of its sinful habits and lustful appetites. It's everything that we were as children of Adam. That's where the old man is. When we put on the new man at conversion, it's like exchanging filthy rags for brand new spotless clothes. Notice how this is fleshed out according to what Paul says in Colossians 3.9. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and some of its wicked deeds. Did I make a mistake? What does it say? Oh yeah. But we act like he only stripped off some. It says he has stripped off all of his wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you get this. Learn to know your creator. It's a continual process of knowing who our God is. And get this, become like him. That's what the sanctification process is all about. Becoming more and more like the God who saved us. When the old man was crucified with Christ at Calvary, the body of sin was put out of commission. Period. The body of sin is the indwelling sin which personifies itself as a ruling bully in our lives. We hear a lot about bullies today, don't we? Baptism in Christ gets rid of this body of sin. And even though it's not entirely eliminated, it is rendered inoperative of its controlling power in our lives. And so this verse stresses that the dictatorship of sin over us has been broken. And so I submit to you the absolute fact that God gives new life by baptism. And because he did so, you are no longer under sin's control. For us, it's a matter of life and death. But a new life is not all that God gives by baptism. Baptism is also important, secondly, because God gives new nature by baptism. The principle here is now you share his new life. Verse 5. Since we have been united with him in death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Since we now have a cohesive union with Christ in his death because of our, our evil desires and slavery to sin died when Christ died, we are now united by faith with Christ in his resurrection life. As a result, what we have is a continuous fellowship with God and freedom from sin's vice grip on our lives. You know what a vice grip is, right? Whenever you want to hold something that do, you don't want to move, you got a vice grip. And once you put that vice grip on, that's not going to move. Because God has broken the power of sin, sin does, sin's vice grip on our lives is broken. But I want you to, let's, let's allow Paul, what Paul says next, to really sink in. Notice verse 7 through verse 10. 
For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. You get that? And since we died with Christ, we know, there's that word know again, we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Hallelujah. Praise the God. Praise the Lord. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, how does he live? He lives for the glory of God. Same way we're supposed to be living. It's a sobering reality. God gives new nature by baptism. And now we share his new life. Why is baptism so important? It's a matter of life and death for the child of God. Now in, in verses 2 and 3, Paul stated the positional truth of believers. Now he shifts to the practical application of this truth in our lives with his next principle. Look at your old self as dead. Instead, be alive to God. Verse 11. So you also should consider or reckon yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do we do that? To reckon implies fully accepting what God says about us as true and living in a way to prove it. That's what this word reckon is saying to us. But let me ask you, can a dead person be tempted? Hmm? Whenever we are confronted with temptations in any way, shape, or form, God expects us to consider ourselves as dead to the power of sin as a corpse in the morgue. That's how we're supposed to respond when sin comes. Can you handle that? Amen, sister. Through Christ. Shortly after his conversion, Augustine was approached by, some call him St. Augustine, but he was approached by a woman that he had an affair with before his conversion. As soon as he spotted the woman, he abruptly turned and headed in the opposite direction. We say bushcraft, man gone. She shouted to him, Augustine, it's me, it's me. Speeding up his pace and without looking back, he shouted back, yes, I know it's you, but it's no longer me. <laughs> By his response, Augustine demonstrated that he was as dead to the power of sin as a corpse. And he wanted nothing to do with lying, with immorality, lying, cheating, gossiping, or any other sin. Like Augustine, we must see ourselves as unresponsive to the old power and alive to the new. Why? Because being alive to God in Christ Jesus means that we are called to a life of holiness, a life of worship, a life of prayer and service, and fruit berry. That's what we are called to. God gives new nature by baptism. And because he did, you can look at your old self as dead. Instead, 
be alive to God. It's a matter of life and death for the believer today. But new life and new nature are not all that God gives by baptism. Third and finally, God gives new freedom by baptism. Paul lays out this principle, and it's simple. You don't need to be rocket science for this. Do not let sin control you. Now, is that too difficult to get? Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Notice he says in verse 12, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Now, as simple as that sounds, that's very difficult for some people. In our world today, it's difficult with some believers. According to verse 6, our old man was crucified so that sin, as a ruling, reigning bully, would be defeated, taken out. Everybody ever watch wrestling? Taken down for the 10 count. That's what it means. Ending our existence as helpless captives to sin. Now, the practical exhortation is based on what is true by position. We should not let sin reign in our mortal bodies by obeying its evil desires. The reign of sin is, 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 was ended miserably at Calvary in death. Now, we must make it a practical reality in life. That's what we are called to do. Only God can make us holy but not without our participation and our needed cooperation. Without a doubt, God gives new freedom by baptism. And because he did, do not let sin control you. Baptism makes it a matter of life and death for us in this sin-sick world in which we live. Because God is not in the habit of telling us what we cannot do without telling us what we can do. Notice Paul's next principle. God gives or give yourselves completely to God. Verse 13. Do not let any part. Now it doesn't say some parts, does it? It says do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, Give yourselves completely to God, for you are dead. But now you have new life. So use your whole body, not a part of it, as an instrument to do what is right. Why? For the glory of God. Instrument of evil. So we don't think of our bodies or anything about it like that, do we? Instrument of evil is both time for a tool or a weapon. Because our skills, capabilities, and bodies can be used in many, many ways for good or bad, good or evil purposes, every part of our bodies is at risk of being used as instruments of evil. We see it every day. Being in Christ by baptism means that every part and fiber of our being is to be an instrument of service to God. You can no longer be Satan's good right hand. 
What is our response? Are you willing to give yourselves completely to God by asking him to use you to do good for his glory? Are you willing, truthfully willing to do that? God gives new freedom by baptism. And because he did, you must give yourselves completely to God. It's imperative that we understand the nature of baptism is a matter of life and death for the believer. Paul gives yet another reason why believers, why as believers, sin shall not have dominion over us in a principle of just three simple words. Profound, powerful, but simple. You are free. Now everybody wants freedom, right? Paul says you're free. Verse 14 and 15. Sin is no longer your master. You are no, you, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Hallelujah. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? A lot of people do that today. Paul says, may it never be. Perish the thought. God provides us there with two compelling reasons why we should not let sin be our master. Reason one, according to verse six, our old man was crucified with Christ. And reason two is that according to verse 14, we are no longer under law, but under grace. You can't beat any those two reasons. God provides us with two reasons. You see, sin only has an advantage over a person who is under the law because the law tells a person what to do but doesn't provide the power to do it. Law good at that. In addition, the inactive desires of fallen human nature are stirred up by the law. In other words, law is bad company. It is stirred up by the law to do what is forbidden. It's the same old story of Eden over and over again. Forbidden fruit is sweet, child. Sometimes believers rationalize sinful behavior by claiming to be caught under certain circumstances. Ever heard that one? But the believer is not under any circumstances. Where is the believer? The believer is under grace. And sin has absolutely no power because the believer has already died to sin by receiving the indwelling Holy Spirit as the power for holy living the believer is now motivated not by fear of punishment because of the law but by love for the Savior because of grace grace is the only thing that produces holiness in the life of the believer and so for us today, it ought to be liberating to understand that God gives new freedom. And because he did, you are free. The significance of baptism makes it a matter of life and death for the believer today. But Paul continues with another principle. He continues by telling us what we can do with this new freedom that we have. He says, you can choose to be your own master. Now, doesn't that sound good? Verse 16, last verse. 
Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to what? Righteous living. So in other words, whoever and whatever we submit to actually becomes what? Our master. Making us what? Slaves. It's a simple fact of life. As simple as one plus one equals two. And as sure as the nose is on your face. So, selling out to sin makes us slaves of sin. And the results will always be spiritually disastrous. We call it backsliding. However, choosing to obey God will result in a holy life. Slaves of sin are hit with a triple whammy. They are burdened by guilt, fear, and misery. In other words, they're always looking over their shoulders. But doing what the new nature loves is what the servants of God have been given their freedom for. So here's something that we need to ponder. Why be a slave when we can have perfect freedom by committing ourselves to obey Christ? Simple question. God gives new freedom by baptism. And because he did, you can choose your own master. You can choose your own things. The uniqueness of baptism makes it a matter of life and death for the believer. And so, in closing, it is by baptism that God gives three things. New life, new nature, and new freedom. Question is, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? As committed believers, no is not enough an answer. We should have a fourfold response to this question. The reason why we won't do it is we cannot because we are joined to Christ. The appeal to us is we cannot, we need not because grace has broken sin's dominance. The command is we must not because We'll reinstate sin as our old master again. And the warning, you'd better not. Because it would be spiritually disastrous. And so the bottom line is, as far as continuing in sin is concerned, we cannot, need not, must not, and had better not. Without a doubt, the reason why baptism is so important to the believer's freedom from sin is because it's a matter of life and death. 